0: Welcome to our daily drive time devotion through the book of Romans. Today we're looking together at Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 32. You might remember yesterday we began a look at Paul's discussion of the devastating consequences of sin in our lives and ended by talking about the choice that some of us make to exchange the truth of God for things, for stuff. In 24, Paul begins to talk about the results of that in our lives. Romans chapter 1, 24 to 32 Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing things evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things but also approve of those who practice them. Well, about this time, you're probably thinking, what in the world could be inspirational about this devotion? What a depressing list of sins. The truth of the matter is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 to 32 is a picture of what life without God looks like. And for me, the inspiration is, I don't have to live that kind of life because of what Jesus Christ has done. What does life without God look like? We are in a culture that often calls the immoral moral and the moral immoral. And it can get very confusing if you take your cues from news magazines or public opinion polls or talk radio. But God is clear. These verses that we just read show that. And the key question we all have to answer is, who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust the opinion polls or God? Am I going to trust what I feel or what God says? These verses are about sin. As you read these verses, they show us again and again that sin has a predictable pattern. Even going back into verse 23 that we looked at yesterday, and then through all of these verses, you see this predictable pattern of sin. Sin is our enemy. Sin is our opponent. And it is good to understand the patterns of your enemy. And Paul goes over and over this pattern of sin. You see three specific things as you walk through these verses. You see, the first thing that happens in this pattern is that we ignore God. It's not as if we don't know anything about God. Paul says again and again, we know about God. We can see it in creation. We can see it in his truth. It's, it's that we ignore what we do know. In fact, he even reminds us that we ignore God when we don't give him thanks, when we don't give him praise. Instead of being thankful for what God has given, man was willing to use God's gift without worshiping the giver. Well, that's true today, too. Sometimes the worshiper becomes the philosopher. Instead of focusing on God, we focus on ourselves. The second thing that happens in this pattern of sin is then we replace God. The word that's used again and again in these verses is the word exchange, We exchange the truth of God for a lie in verse 25. Back in verse 23, we talked about exchanging the glory of God for images. We replace God. Sin is a bad deal, by the way. It's a bad exchange. It's like exchanging a a jaguar for a pinto. Oh, it's even worse than that. It's a very bad exchange. But we make that exchange, and why do we do that? Why do we exchange truth for a lie? Why do we exchange glory for a thing? The reason is we're all made to worship something, and when we try to ignore God and put God in a place out of our lives, our hearts are going to be drawn to worship something, and if we hold God at arm's length, we're going to worship something else. It's going to end up being a thing. It's going to end up being a lie. Now, the Bible calls this idolatry. What does an idol look like? We all have this old picture of some kind of a a stone idol, a a figure of a person, but an idol can also look like uh, your car or it can look like your golf bag, or it can look like uh, your favorite vacation spot, or it can look like some award that you've been going after all your life, or the corner office. Now, some of those things don't have to be idols, but they can become idols. Someone said that there's a crude paganism and a cultured paganism. Some grovel at the foot of an idol. Others worship at the shrine of an ideal. Even some great ideal, some dream that's only your own and you hold God at arm's length from that, you want to do it yourself, that becomes an idol in your life. Why do we make idols? Because, as I said, we're made to worship something. We are made to worship something. And if we don't worship the true God, we'll end up manufacturing our own God. We either recognize that God created us in his image or we end up creating gods in our own image. We replace God. The pattern is we ignore God but we need to worship something. And so we replace God. And then the third thing that happens in the pattern is we reject God. It's a very short step between idolatry and immorality. And I'm talking about the kind of rejection that says, I can live my life any way that I want. There's another exchange that that is talked about in these verses. In verse 26, they exchange the natural for the unnatural. They begin to live the kind of life that they want to live. Science and philosophy and even education and media are often confused about homosexuality. The Bible isn't. God isn't. God says homosexuality is sexual immorality. It's not the only sexual immorality. So is adultery. It's not the only sexual immorality. So is uh, pornography. But it is, God says, immorality. It's one of the ways that people say, I'm going to live life my way rather than God's way. Now, let me just take a moment for parentheses here. These verses are so clear about sin. They're so clear about the sin of homosexuality that those who want to ignore their sin try to explain away these verses. In fact, there are three popular ways of doing that. Some people try to explain it away by attacking Paul. They say, well, Paul wasn't perfect, and so he wrote something out of his own opinion. And the problem with that is, yeah, Paul wasn't perfect, but the Bible is. And God wrote the Bible through Paul, and I'm an imperfect man, but it is a perfect book. To say that the Bible is imperfect because Paul was an imperfect human being, that is as dangerous as saying that the Jesus must be imperfect because his mother Mary was just a human being. God wrote the perfect word through Paul. A second attack that sometimes people use is to say that maybe a part of the Bible must not any longer be true. It's cultural. It's not binding on us today. Well, on whose authority do you believe that? Jesus Christ affirmed that marriage between a man and a wife is God's plan. And I trust Him. I trust Him more than any other so-called expert. And then a third attack is sort of an attitude that you hear sometimes where you act as if God is out of date. While the Bible says this, modern medicine has shown us that kind of a quote. God wrote the Bible. And God is more modern and up to date than any of us could ever hope to be. The problem that sometimes people have with these verses is focusing on one sin as the only sin. But as we finish out these verses, you're going to see that God lists a lot of sins, our sins. And the key phrase in this verse about our rebelliousness is the phrase, God gave them over. That's, by the way, an expression of God's wrath. Sometimes we think of wrath, we think of thunderbolts falling upon us from heaven. As Paul spoke here, he spoke of a wrath that involved the quiet decay of the human heart. One of the highest and deepest expressions of God's judgment is when God says, do what you want. One of the most sobering ways that God's wrath is revealed is when he removes his influence and his protection from our lives. That is what hell is. And so in these verses, God gave them over. In verse 24, to sexual impurity. In verses 26 to 27, to shameful lusts. In verses 28 to 31, to a depraved mind. Some people see these as progressive. Some as three expressions of the truth. Whatever, it's what happens to my life when I'm without God. One of the most challenging parts of this passage to me is the list of 21 things that Paul talks about results from a depraved mind. In verses uh, 29 and 30, he talks about full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice. They're gossip and slanders and God-haters and insolent. The thing that challenges me about these verses is that the so-called not-so-bad sins are listed right alongside of the so-called really bad sins with no distinction between them. Some of the ways that we distinguish sin from one another to make ourselves feel better, God doesn't distinguish sin in that way at all because he realizes that all sin hurts our hearts. Gossip is right there alongside a murder. What do you do when you get to the end of a chapter like Romans 1 and you realize it's about my sin? And it's about the hurt that sin brings to my heart and the heart of God. What do you do at the end of this chapter? Well, strangely, I would say what you need to do is celebrate. Celebrate. Thank God that you've escaped his wrath through Jesus Christ. Refuse to excuse your sin. Celebrate by living the kind of life that God made you to live. Celebrate by realizing he can break the pattern of sin in your life. Celebrate by realizing you can live a life that encourages other people not to sin. In fact, I would like you to pray with me a prayer of praise right now. When you decide to praise God in the face of sin, you're deciding to have faith. You're deciding that your life is going to be ruled by that faith rather than by sin. So right now, just say in a prayer of praise to God, thank you. Thank you that because of Jesus Christ, I have escaped an empty life of ignoring the truth and following after false images rather than the real thing. God, give me the grace to refuse to excuse my sin, but instead to look to you to break the patterns of sin in my life. I pray that my life would be a trophy of your grace, an example to the world of the way that you can change a life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our next devotion, we're going to start a look at Romans chapter 2. We'll take five days together to look through Romans 2 and see the truth that it has for our lives. And let me just give you a word of hope and encouragement. I know that Romans 1, it's sort of devastating. And you might feel like right now, well, maybe I'll go study like uh, Philippians or something, or maybe the book of John. Uh, The book of Romans is very hard-hitting at the beginning, but it also has the ring of truth about it, and it also is filled with hope. The same hard-hitting truth about sin is also reflected in the hard-hitting truth about hope, about God's growth in our lives, about the Spirit's difference in our lives. So stick with me through the book of Romans. Enjoy the fact that God can take what could devastate us and rescue us, and not only rescue us, but begin to change us. You see, Romans is a history-changing book. But first of all, Paul talks about the history that needs to be changed. And then he begins to talk about how God changes history. We'll take a look at that together as we look at Romans chapter 2 next time we get together.